Today on the show, I'm excited to have my my friend and, and fantastic guest, Casey Wheat. Um, he's going to share a story that's part entrepreneurial and and um, and, and part uh, personal adversity. And I really just respect the hell out of this guy for coming on and and um, you know really giving an honest take. And um, you know he's done some really fantastic things creatively, brand wise, brand building. It's really on it on point with his new brand, Sport of Kings, for every young. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, listening to Casey Wheat from Sport of Kings. On the Brevity Code podcast, we'll explore a wide range of topics from the very people that give form and color to our world. We'll hear from artists, brand builders, industry leaders, pro athletes, fitness and endurance coaches, philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and many others. Through their actions, they enrich us with their vision, creativity, and bravery. Our guests have all been successful by flying in the face of conventional wisdom. We'll learn from them the ways in which we can apply that very knowledge to our own path and toward our own self-fulfillment. What's up, everyone? Thank you for joining us today for another exciting episode of the Brevity Code Podcast. I got on a longtime buddy. We go way back, like high school style. Uh, Mr. Casey Wheat, uh, now of uh, Sport of Kings Forever Young and uh, back in the day, Royale. We're going to dive into all that. We're going to talk surfing, some of the adventures and hijinks that Casey's got into in his life, and and talk a lot about his new brand now and and see where our conversation goes. So, Casey, thank you for, for being on the show today. Hey, right on. Thanks for having me, Ryan. It's been a, it's been a minute. Yeah, it has, dude. Good to see you. You look good. Like, you don't age. It's great. So, everyone that's listening, we're, Casey and I are Skyping right now. <laughs> you, know, you don't even age, bro. I don't get it. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, likewise, man. You're looking, looking sharp yourself. Thanks, man. I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, dude, so are you getting surf right now? Like, obviously, I'm, I'm coming to you live from, from Boise, Idaho, and it's 30 degrees outside. And uh, I just give me a little jealousy. Give me a jealousy update. Yeah, yeah. well, right now we got a little little slight um, offshore, about uh, two to three, maybe occasional four. Um, probably going to surf right after this take an early lunch break, you know, the perks of, uh, running your own business. But, right. uh, yeah, I mean, the surf, we've had a, we've had a pretty good winter. I mean, we've had a lot of, a uh, few big, uh, big swells. Um, there's been, uh, there's been a couple good days, but yeah, we've been having a real winter, you know, well, speaking for, of for, for, for California, I don't want to, you guys are back there in Boise. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. It gets, it gets yeah, real. Days of rain, so it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, yeah, no, no, it gets real out here. Um, so speaking of, uh, you know, waves and, and storm chasing and all that, let's talk artificial style. Have you been to Slater Surf Ranch? Yes, yes. I went, uh, I went on October 13th, which, uh, which was my birthday, but I went, uh, I went for, uh, Bobby Lockhart, a buddy, uh, his, his 50, you know, Bobby, but, uh, we went out there for his 50th and, uh, yeah, um, I'll tell you what, and you, when I first walked up, and took a look at the facility and it was just, you, you just, it's mind blowing. You know, you take a step back and you're just like, when you see that first wave, it's, it's, it's sheet glass and it's, I think it's like seven thirty in the morning and there's not, a, I mean, not a drop of water out of place. And then all of a sudden you see this absolutely perfect man-made the first one was a left. Bobby Lockhart got the first wave. And it's just, I mean, a couple hundred yards, you know, and then it 
Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, and you've surfed, you've surfed all over the place. So for you, even seeing something like that, like, have you ever even seen a wave that perfect anywhere in nature? Uh, yes, I would say... I would say much more perfect in nature. Oh, yeah? Uh, you know? Yeah, because when you're... I don't know. I mean, it, the, the technology was amazing. The wave is absolutely perfect. But when you go to spots like Pavones and, I mean, even like Rincon and, and you've got like, you know, Witch's Rock that I've been to. And then you go to Indonesia. It's like these these waves are so magical. And the way that they set up on these reefs, they come in and they, they absolutely they break in the same exact spot because you have a reef bottom or a cobblestone rock bottom, you know, and just it's it's mother nature so you're just like surfing an absolutely perfect wave over and over so i would say i mean and how good you know kelly's wave pool is yes the technology is absolutely amazing but i would i'm gonna go with mother nature okay but wait i'm gonna throw a curveball at you so you're out there in mother nature and you're let's say you're dendo and you're surfing those perfect waves but there might be a bunch of dudes on that wave right so Yes. At, at the surf ranch, you're going to get a, cl- a crowd-controlled situation. Yeah, that's if you have a lot of paper, though. Ah, yeah. right. If you have a lot of money to spend <laughs> and you want to rent that with just eight of your buddies, yeah. I would agree with you. I went with 25 guys. I had an hour heat. I had six guys in the water. I only had two priority waves, and I picked up two scraps. So I got four waves for 1000 bucks. That's, that's a little it. steep, dude. That's all. That's all I got. That's it. Fall, no fall. Doesn't matter. Fall, no fall. First wave I had, I pogo sticked on my second turn into the tail. Oh my god! (laughs) And obviously for yeah, and for those listening, that like Casey's an amazing surfer too. So like that must have just been what was like you know adrenaline pumping. Like what what was what happened? Well, so you pull up, like I said, you know, you're looking at this fucking just state-of-the-art technology. Um, I, I watched it for a couple hours, so you're absolutely just frothing to get out there. Um, uh, you know, I'm like kind of going, fuck, did I, am I riding the right board? You know, I really don't. You know, I was riding a Machado board, which is a swallowtail, a little wider nose. It's for like... It's really for mushy, mushy days, you know, and this, this wave has a couple barrel sections on it and it's super quick and top to bottom. So I wasn't really, I didn't really like think about my equipment that much. I was just like, oh, you know, I'm just going to, this thing's perfect. I'm going to have a blast. First wave. uh, So I'm up at 10 o'clock. I get in the water. I'm the, I'm the first guy to catch the first priority wave in this heat. You know, so you hop in and you've got like 60 seconds until the machine clicks in. And I got Ramado coming up to me on a uh, on a jet ski and he's like, okay, brah. He goes, brah. He goes, when I tell you pump, that means pump, brah. And I say, go. <laughs> he goes, he goes that, that, means, that means the barrel's coming. And I'm like, now you got like 30 seconds, 20 seconds, and the machine's, <laughs> the wave's going to be coming. And I'm like, wait, what? I like, okay. You know, I'm like, all of a sudden, here comes the wave. I take off. And the very first thought, I'll never forget, like, I took off and I was like, holy shit, this thing is perfect. So it just lines up, just pitches straight up in front of you? Well, it's just, it's different than the ocean because it's pushing. I don't don't know how to, it's kind of hard to explain, but it just feels, you know, because you have a, 
you have a machine, like, I mean, I guess the best way is like a snow plow that's on a pier that just pushes water, you know, and they, 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 they have the bottom, you know, figurated. So, so you'll have certain sections where it'll get shallower and then you'll have a little barrel section yeah, right. and, and, and stuff like that. But it's, it's just different because the way that it's just, it's absolutely perfect. So the thing's peeling perfect but it's kind of, it's pushing. So there's a little, you know, I'm sure you get used to it after, after surfing it a few times, but this was my first wave ever in a wave pool. Okay. Um, so I come off the first turn and I kind of get hung up a little bit and I was like, Oh shit, I think I'm riding the wrong board. (laughs) The motto's yelling, whatever, you know, it's either pump or get low. And uh, that's the only thing he's yelling. He's like two feet away from you on a jet ski. So it kind of feels like, when you're surfing and it's super crowded and you snake somebody, yeah, you have someone behind you. You always have this kind of like, ooh, you know, how close is he? Ooh, you know, yeah, sure. Gonna, you know, so you can't relax, get in rhythm. Second turn, I go up. He starts screaming, "Get low, get low!" And I'm like, "Oh shit, that means it's gonna barrel." <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I come down. I have a photo of it. I have a water shot of it. And it's so funny. You can't even see my board. All you see is me just airborne <laughs> right, right into the barrel and just get, and just get pumped. <laughs> now, and, wait. Yeah. Why is he two, he's, he's two feet in front of you or two feet behind you? Two feet behind you. Why, so why is he there? I, I don't know. You know, I mean, everything happens so quick. I mean, if I would have known, like, I would have said, hey, Romano, can we just, I'll just, let me, let me fly solo on this one, you know? But I, I think they... I think they do it just to kind of think they're helping people out. Maybe okay. it does. Help some, maybe it does help some people. Um, you know, I, I don't. I don't know. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, but, uh, I mean, you don't need anyone reading the wave for you. I mean, okay, I guess. Granted, you know, first time there, but if you sat there and watched it in front, you're like, yeah. you know, where that section's coming. You know where it's gonna like so. Yeah, yeah, and it's all really, you know, surfing. You know, it's like any any sport, really. I mean, it's rhythm. You know, you got to get in that get in that rhythm everything's muscle muscle yeah. memory now are they know? setting the whole vibe for you by the way like, like are they pumping in music like what's the scene can you smell hot dogs like what it's, it, it's, is it, it, it it's five star dude it's it is everything you would dream of if you if you were like hey i'm gonna uh you know i've got the cash to build a wave pool i mean they've got this really cool little clubhouse that has every single slater model yep in there the gamma, the the sci-fi, the the this, the that. Um, they got live video stream of every wave on a big screen. Um, Bobby Lockhart wanted music, told me to put on gangster rap, so we had gangster rap going all day. Nice. Um, and then yeah, and then they're serving up food. You got all kinds of uh, you know a lot of lot of lot of health food. You know, Kelly, Kelly's into the whole yeah you know, health vibe, which is cool. Yeah, um, fresh water. It's just. It's five star. Like yeah. the whole place got a jacuzzi right there, and all the boys were drinking beers. And I mean, it was. Uh, it sounds like a killer day, and I need yeah. to visit. Yeah. 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 Only go with eight guys, though. Sounds <laughs> like it. That's it, man. Yeah. It's eight guys. Because then you could be in the water one hour with four guys, chill for an hour, and then back in the water, chill for an hour, back in the water. That to me would be a perfect day at a. Uh, at the ranch yeah i gotta go man yeah so you know we've started off by talking about surfing um 
you know, so we again, you, you know, you're HBHS. You were you were on the surf team, right? Are you captain? Are you? I know you ripped. Yeah, no, no, no. I was never never captain. Yes, was on the surf team uh, back then. Uh, I mean, it's still a big deal. I don't know if I'm just uh, biased to our generation, but uh, in the generation before us, it was like coming into Huntington with with the guys that were there before the Bud Lamas right. and Larry, Larry Colby's and you know right. Jason. And it was like, it was, uh, you know, you had Chuck Lennon, I mean, sorry, not Chuck Lennon, Chuck Allen was, uh, was our, uh, surf coach and it was, I think we were 25 years in a row, national champs. You know? Yeah. And real it, deal. Yeah. Real deal. You know? So it was, uh, yeah. So how did, you know, the, what do I want to say? The, the idea or the inception Jumping straight into to Royale now was, um, you know, obviously, you know, you're still steeped heavily in surf culture. It's, it's part of the fiber of who you are, and and um, you know, we continue to see that today with with the Sport of Kings brand. But going back to Royale, I, what year did you start that? Uh, it was ninety ninety six. Okay, it's ninety uh, ninety end of end of ninety six. Yeah, because I remember. I don't know if you're going to remember this or not, but um, so. I think I was already moonlighting. I was working at Mosmo at the time and moonlighting in my garage with Paul, kind of getting the Paul Frank thing going. Yeah. And I, you guys were launching, and you did a fashion show in L.A. Yeah. And I, I was like, I think it was like, you know, you, Jesse Carone, and a few yeah. other guys um, in the show, maybe Scooter and some guys. Yeah. Joel Nelson was in it, yeah. But, and I remember, I just remember like this Orange County migration to L.A., and thinking yeah. like, this guy is so on it, and you had brought this 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 tribe of people that were supporting you, and I had an influence on me. I remember thinking like, this guy's got it going on. Like, there's something special happening here with this brand and this figurehead of this, yeah. you know, this company. And I mean, that's kind of one of those moments where I sat there and I went, you know what? I want this too. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm going, I was sitting in the crowd watching. It's just as energized as anyone there, but thinking like, yeah, I want it. And, uh, you know, so, so props to you. I mean, I, I remember, you know, kind of coming up through the trade show circuits and we, we've grinded it, you know, in yeah. 10 by 10s all the way through. And, yeah. you know, I don't even know what the scene looks like nowadays, but so yeah. <laughs> the, uh, why don't you take just a, a minute to, um, describe, what Royale the brand was, what it meant to you, and and you know it's just a, just a little brief history on it because I I think it's important to note as we build upon our our topics today, which we're going to get into your you know your newest iterations, that people have a foundation for where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, back then, you know, I was 26 years old. Um, Bobby Knutson was my partner. Um, he had uh, before we started Royale, he had a company called Wino. That he that he's that he just he uh, he did with one of our friends Scarf, and they just put out a couple really cool button down shirts out of some really really cool like you know wovens. And I remember things weren't going good with with their partnership, and they had just started it, and it was totally grassroots. And uh, you know, I'd known Bobby since we were we were kids, you know, and we got together and we just said, hey, you know, let's uh, let's start something together, you know, and um, I never went to school for fashion or anything. I just, I just always had a, had a love for fashion. And I think it really, 
really came from my from my grandpa. You know, I was raised by my grandparents, and uh, my grandpa was uh, he was always rocking uh, Kangos and, and, and cashmere V necks, yes. and, and you know slacks, and, and drove the Cadillac. You know, he belonged to you know Big Canyon and Newport Country Club, so he was just he was just fresh. You know, yeah. and it and it rubbed off on me. You know that you know. Um, I just had a love for fashion. So I just really, with the whole Royale thing, I, I just really jumped in, you know, it was just all hands on deck. Let's do this, dude. You know, um, I have a passion for it. Um, and you know, we started it and, uh, yeah, it was really, it was cool. You know, it was, um, we just wanted to back then, you know, I've always been heavily influenced by Sean Stussy. Me too. Yeah. Me I think too. I think all of us, you yeah. know, all of us. And what he did was, you know, it was, yes, he is. I mean, I mean, look at where they are today. I mean, Stussy is pretty much a streetwear brand. But right. Sean Stussy's a, a surfer. He's a surfer and a surfboard shaper, right. you know, from, you know, from Orange County. And uh, he really put like a fashion, you know, he had such a love for Chanel. You know, he really put a fashion twist on it. And I was just... I was so influenced by him that, you know, for, for us growing up in the surf industry, you really don't see that. Massimo had his thing, which was, which was, you know, kind of went the volley, you know, was it? Yeah. He went three panel, three panel volley to start. Yeah. And I think he was, that's it. I don't think it. I would never call that brand sort of surf culture like where Stussy started and then was able to use those street influences of hip hop and big yeah. city mentality. Massimo tried to, you know, do a little more refined kind of thing and yeah. whatever side of that fence you sit on, he was either successful or he, or he wasn't. But, um, you know, a crazy story there anyway. I want to get him on the show one of these days too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be good. But he had that California lifestyle vibe. Yeah, know, right. And it was fresh, you know, and it was, it was cool. So, yeah, I mean, when we when we just jumped in, now we we wanted to bring like that, really not follow the the, the surf, you know, and and really like what we thought was, you know, you know, fashion forward, or you know, I remember um, when we uh, we started doing stretch with spandex in it, and nobody in the surf industry, I remember getting laughed at at a few accounts, going like. What this is a men's line? What do you got spandex in the in the shirt for, and spandex in the in the pants? You know, we were working with uh, LMJ. You know, Sven. Yeah, sure. Sven, yeah. Yep. He was working at LMJ um, Fabric, and, and they had just tons of this cool chino with stretch, and and it was. Uh, so yeah. Um, well, to put that in its proper context, again, we're talking mid 90s people you know everyone's incorporated into their denim programs and their chino programs and all that today and obviously in their wovens it's it's all sort of stretch performance based but what casey's talking about is it is i mean it's 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 mid 90s dude and it was uh it was not happening then no dude this was because this was what this was like dickie's generation right this was yeah yeah i mean you got the whole grunge thing dickie's like I mean, it was, uh, you know, I just remember some accounts like kind of tripping, just like, wait, what do you guys got spandex in this for, you know? Yes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we had, uh, you know, we had a really, really good, good time. Um, that fashion show, you know, was, um, God, that was, uh, 
I have to give that up to Jeff Long because you know I had a I had my uh, you know one of one of my other partners was was Jeff Long and I remember when we were talking about doing the fashion show he always wanted to do things big grander and he's just like he's all dude he goes you know we started talking about doing the fashion show and immediately. I'm going to forget the name of that club. What was that club? It was on Hollywood Boulevard and Vine. I I have the visual of the club in my head. I could literally tell you where I was standing, but I don't. I'm (laughs) never going to give you the name of that place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to find that out. But yeah, it's it's right up there on Hollywood Boulevard. And he's like, that's where we're doing it. We're doing it there. We're going big. I'm renting the place out. And he he handled that whole thing. I get in that spot and, and really wanted to. You know, he was a visionary, man, and he really wanted to showcase the brand in L.A. You know, like you're talking about, like we took like, you know, our our Orange County crew and what we were doing down here and we brought it to L.A. But that was that was Jeff Long's vision, you know, of like doing things, you know, he had the money and he he, he had the vision and he said, hey, this is what we're doing it. And yeah, uh, we winged that fashion show and it actually came off pretty, pretty good. It was it was a fun night. Well, there there are those moments I think that are in you know these 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 sort of tipping point catalyst moments in a brand. I mean, I was standing there. I I felt that energy that was like undeniable. Yeah. And that's yeah. again where I was sitting there going, man. I I I mean, if I'm feeling this, yeah. This is real, and I'm not trying to get as Rogan would say, woo woo. But uh, yeah, there is yeah. a vibe and. And brands are either capturing that vibe or you're like, dude, they're not faking the funk and this sucks. And these guys should probably pack it up and go home. And that was not, you know, we've all sat there. We've all seen that show, you know, and and that was certainly not my experience. And my takeaway from that was, Jesus Christ, that's going to be a rocket ship. You know, and again, if I can, if I could just emulate a bit of that and take, take some of that sauce with me, um, you know, and, and in our own, in our own way, use it. Um, so as far as the, the brand reach and strategy, you know, it seems to me again, it's sort of imploring that Sean Stussy model, you know, going more metropolitan city and certainly, um, having a presence in Japan, not only probably from an influence perspective, but just, you know, um, need to be there. Those, you know, Japanese consumers, when they can get behind something and they understand brand, it's religion for them. And, um, you know, how, you were obviously successful in Japan. Yep. So, yeah, so we, um, you know, we, we were, you know, things, things were going good here in the States. Um, you know, it was a different time back then. Uh, we, uh, we got a big order from uh, Urban Outfitters. We got a big order from PacSun. You know, things were moving along. And then we had these, uh, I think it was around 2000 now, 2000. Yeah, it was around 2000, so 99, 2000. We had these Japanese guys, uh, Masa, who is now the guys who own Banks. So the same guys that started Banks Journal, um, they approached us. Um, they were young, and they were like 26 years old, and they were just super hyped on the brand. They wanted to open up a store over there. So we went over there, and we opened up a boutique in, in Japan. Um, you know, things were going uh, You know, things were going good. We had the grand opening. Uh Probably about six months later. I don't know. I don't know the exact time frame, but uh, just out of the blue. So we had a lot of people approach us, you know, because uh, Jeff Long was funding us. You know, we had people that approached us to uh, to buy in. You know, they wanted to handle our production, and 
And Jeff was so ambitious and he, and he, and he did have the capital. He would come out of those meetings and he'd be like, Hey, look, I could, I could fund this dude. We don't need anybody else's money, you know? And we really, you know, I mean, we believed in him. He believed in us. And then we just had a, a real tragic, uh, thing happen, man. He just, he passed away. Just, I mean, he, he, POD'd on fentanyl patches. And I mean, you hear about fentanyl, you yeah. hear about fentanyl all the time. Back then, I didn't even know what fentanyl was, and I was pretty steeped in in, in drugs, you know. But it was is basically like the strongest uh, opiates you can get pharmaceutically. Um, they come in a patch, and he had a, I believe it was a, he had a hundred milligram fentanyl patch with a heating pad, and a heating pad basically releases all of the fentanyl at once. Oh my so, god. Yeah. Was, was so just, was that a medical thing that he had the fentanyl or did he he was doing he, his fair share of uh dabbling? Uh you have money, you can get anything. Um especially when back then, I mean they've tightened up on the whole doctor thing now, but back then it was uh the wild wild west when it came to uh finding a doctor to to prescribe you uh pain pills, but he had been taking uh Norcos, you know, for a long time, so like Vicodins. And you just build up, you know, you build up a tolerance for, for opiates. And it's just like you always have to be taking more or something stronger. You know, your body just starts to, you know, you become more addictive. And it's just like you need something stronger, stronger. And he gradually, you know, I found out this later. I didn't even know that he was that he was taking these things. This was before I got, I mean, I was partying at that time. You know, I was more like coke and ecstasy at that time. But I hadn't got into to using uh, opiates. Yeah. You know, so, so that was all, it was all to me, you know? Yeah, so this, so the brand's rocking, it's doing its thing, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those success stories. And and then you get the gut punch kind of out of nowhere. Um, it takes so much to go right for a brand to work in the first place. And here you are doing all those things and people probably can't fathom the amount of work ethic and and tireless devotion it takes to get a brand off the ground um and then and then something tragic like this happened so how did that affect you and how did that affect the brand and the employees well that's a good question buddy um yeah it was uh you know i mean as you know you know having partners and 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 when when stuff like that happens, you know, if, 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 you know, everybody isn't making money and things aren't going right, you can, you can have tension, you know, and there was a little bit of tension between Bobby and myself, uh, before, before Jeff had passed. And when he passed it, um, it really, it, it became like every man for himself, you know, um, because we couldn't find, we couldn't find investment. Immediately. Yeah. You know how fast paced the clothing is. If you miss a season, yeah. you miss a season, you're, you're basically done. So, you know, we're growing. I think we were doing about a million in sales. You know, we needed money immediately. You know, now you got Jeff's family um, who had money invested. Now they're looking to get back that money. You know, so it just yeah. got immediately, it went very, um, it just was, it was, yeah wasn't fun and you know then you're dealing with uh partnership issues and you know and then you got a family that just lost their lost their son and 
it uh, you know it just yeah and at the, and yeah geez that's when the Japanese like so we we tried you know for about six months we couldn't we couldn't find funding and that's when the Japanese approached us and asked us to uh, to buy the you know the, the name for Japan and I wasn't in my right mind <laughs> because I didn't ask for uh, percentage you know I mean I was like at that time I, w- I was wilding out you know I was yeah. I was getting to a getting to a point you know um, you know we can go more in more into this but um, yeah they just uh, they came to us and they're just like hey we would love to buy it you know for Japan and these guys were 26 never have <laughs> distributed or, or or done anything in the apparel and we were like uh you know we haven't even made it here in the u.s so i never really uh, i'd never heard of a brand making it if a brand really didn't make it here in the states you know and then they're gonna you know grow this thing in japan but we ended up selling it to them for pretty much peanuts and uh dude today I mean, last I heard, I heard, I heard it does about ten to fifteen million a, a year in Japan. Well, I think you know a tribute to the foundation you built, certainly, um, and and all that you know, all the vibe that that was brought and the culture, um, you know, that goodwill on the brand really goes a long way, which is credit to yeah. you. But yeah, yeah, um, sure. yeah, man. But obviously, a hard. It's beyond a hard lesson, man. It's just, it's. Uh, yeah. It's just one of those unfortunate things, and so that and so now that happens to you. You sell the brand. So now they they buy the brand outright, or they just buy the names. Like, did you license it for the rights to Japan, or what? What was the deal? It, it, just 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 the rights for Japan. Okay, and so then yeah. domestically, what's happening? Are you saying okay? Well, we're going to try to limp along, or we're, like, what do you? I, I, I just basically let them buy me out. I let Bobby and, and Ian Kessler, which was uh, which was an attorney that was working with uh, Snook Jeff from Snook. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so him and him and Bobby kind of, you know, um, you know that, that was Bobby's attorney. They kind of, you know, it was supposed to be both of our attorney, but I could I could see the writing on the wall, you know. So I was just like, cool, you guys yeah. want to try and do this? Go ahead, give it give it a shot. So I stepped away immediately after. After that, they tried to give it a give it a run. I think for six months, and then that was it. They folded. And then, so now, what are you doing on the daily? Now you're, you know, when you're out, like what? What are you? You're surfing. I guess you could you could look at this two ways. You could look at it as this is when the fun started, or this is when the uh, <laughs> this is when the wheels this is when the wheels came off. Uh. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, so. Like I said, you know, I was wilding out. I was partying. I always had like this, you know. I don't. <laughs> it's. Uh, I like to joke and say I blame blame it on gangster rap. You know, I blame it on the '90s. You know, because growing up in the '90s, um, for me, I don't know. It was just something. I, I always had this in me where I, I really, you know, I enjoy people. I enjoy. I enjoy the nightlife. You know, I mean, now you know. You know that that's that's all behind me and stuff. You know, I, I get tired. I'm in bed by like nine ten o'clock <laughs> watching Netflix. But uh, back then, I was just I was intoxicated. Like besides just the drugs, I was intoxicated by like nightlife and and and, and DJs and shows yeah. and just yeah. you know. And it was like this perfect storm that I that I created. 
And, um, you know, and then when you put drugs in, you know, I, I didn't do cocaine until I was 26. You know, I did it New Year's Eve in, in Costa Rica um, just because I was about to throw up. And I'd always heard that if you, you know, if you do some coke, you know, you're not going to throw up. And I was having such a good time. And bam, once I did it, it was just like it was game on, you know. And uh, fast forward to the 2000s, you know, it just, um, you know, I got I got involved into, uh, you know, a lot of my buddies were making a lot of money selling weed, you know. And this is back when we didn't have CEOs, <laughs> you know, opening up big warehouses and everything above the board. It was uh, it was the the tail end of the cowboy days of the of the marijuana, you know, business. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I hopped in and it was just like, it was probably the worst thing because coming out of, of, you know, having this brand that I was so passionate about and, you know, we really had like a, a good thing and we're having a lot of fun into like, you know, I love resentment kind of, you know, and resentment's a killer. You know, you throw you throw drugs into the mix with with resentment, and uh, you're going to drift far away from spirituality. You know, it's it's not. You know, and I just I went in full bore. You know, I mean, I was I was making twenty thirty grand a month for for you know. I Jesus, don't know. dude. Oh yeah, just I mean, we were, and I was the smallest guy in the totem pole in my whole crew. Like uh, the crew, I mean, you probably know some of the guys, but like, you know, I mean, these guys clocking fifty, a hundred thousand dollars a month, just clocking mad and it was like so now you got a drug problem, you got money. Yep. Idle times the devil's playground. Yeah. And it's like, you know, um I tore my ankle playing basketball in like two thousand about two thousand one and I got on Norcos for a month and I went back to this doctor and he just gave me another prescription for 90 Norcos. So then, like, on the second month, I'm taking them. And then that's when you're, you're, you're really not in pain anymore, but I'm liking the, the effects of these opiates. I'm like, ooh, I don't feel the resentment. Ooh, yeah. I don't feel this. Ooh, I don't, you know. I lost my grandparents, you know, in the, in the late 90s, too, you know, which I lost my grandpa in 96, my grandma in 2001, my other. So I had a lot of, like, you know, my mom's parents, you know, I lost, so I had a lot of things, you know, I pushed the love of my life out of my life, you know, um, I had a lot of things happen there and then you have the company and it's just like, yeah, I just poured gasoline on it, dude. And I just went, I went super hard, you know? And, and that run continued for sounds like several years where you're making good money and kind of, and then really kind of just burning it at both ends. Burning it. And then, and so how does that un- end up for you? Like, do you get eventually get arrested? Is there is do you overdose? Like, what 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 is the what is the moment that I guess your rock bottom moment? If you don't mind sharing that, no, I don't I don't mind sharing it at all. Hopefully, uh, you know somebody can you know if it can help one person, you know that's 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 cool. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a long run. It uh, it um. Yeah, it was, you know, making that type of money, um, not having to wake up, answer to anybody, uh, you know, being around like the, the guys that are around the characters. And it was just like it was just uh, it was intoxicating, to say the least, you know, not not in a good way. Um, you think you're having a good time, you know, um, 
But uh, yeah, so the run, it basically, you know, then it, you know, once I got onto opiates, that was, um, you know, I mean, I was still doing cocaine. Um, but once the opiates, you know, came in, that it's a, it's a whole different, um, it's a whole different animal because you're, you're, you're physically addicted to these things and you're having to take them, you know, every four to five hours, you know, and then it, I graduated to Oxycontin in about 2003. So, I mean, I was on Oxys for 10 years, dude. I was doing 15 milligrams a day. I mean, sorry, I was doing, I was doing, uh, the 80s, I was doing 15, 80 milligram oxys a day, sniffing them. And if wow. you like, yeah, I had a $300 a day habit. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in 2007, you know, I called up uh, Paul Moen, you know, Momo. I yeah. called up Momo, you know, because he had some time sober. At the time, I was living with, with Bill Webb. Um, you know, who, who just took 30 years, you know, and it's like, I always tell Billy, you know, even though I didn't listen all those years, you, you still planted a seed, you know, that you can, you can live a great life and have a lot of fun. And, and we know how much fun Billy had, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. he had a lot of fun, man, you know, and, and he was sober the whole time, you know? So I called up, I called up Paul in 2007, you know, because I was, I was just, I was a mess. The the weed thing was slowing down. It was becoming more difficult. You know, I was starting to, I was starting to ship it back to New York, you know, because New York, you're still getting 5,000 a pound. I'm making, you know, shipping 20 pounds and I'm making 20 G's on just one shipment. But I'm like, I mean, it was madness. Dude. Did I you ever, out. did you ever, were you ever like, what was the, uh, the pucker factor on getting arrested or like, what? I, I hear that when you say that and I go, Dude, that is like, I can't even wrap my head around the balls of steel that, what, did you, or is that like, what, did you just like, here's my coffee, okay, I'm going to make 20 grand a day and I might get arrested, I might go away a long time. Like, what, what, what's the risk factor for you there? What, I don't even get it. Um, you know what, it's funny, I mean, talking about it right now, buddy, I, I laugh about it, but I, you know, I can't wrap my head around it now. But when you're um, when you're as high as I was and, and as reckless as I was, um, and after you're doing it for a while, you you get comfortable with it, you know. You you um, you just start to um, let me. There you go. You get comfortable with it, you know. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was shit. It was just, uh, it was just what I did, dude. And I didn't really, I didn't really think about it. I think that's the thing. If you thought about that, if you wrapped your head around like the, 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 the consequences, you probably would, would, would not do it. So I never really thought about that. I mean, for instance, like I thought I was so slick when I was shipping 20 pounds to, to New York, I would dress up in a Gucci suit and just be thin, have my Louis bag, have all stuff, have all my stuff. I mean, I would never carry the weed. I would ship that on a car, on a, on a trucking system. But when I would carry the money back, still, when you have 80, 100 grand on you going through the Dude, airport, I would, just, I would just dress up. You're rolling around like Floyd Mayweather. There you go. <laughs> like, I'm thinking, like, you know, again, my appearance, if my appearance, I actually went out and, uh, I bought tube socks from American Apparel. I had my, when I was coming back from New York, I had my uh, Patagonia puffy, but I had my, um, I had my Gucci bag that my suit came in. 
Yeah. I had like 20 grand in one pocket, 20 grand. I took off the, took off the, um, rubber bands because I'm such a genius. I'm thinking like, what about the, what is the the x-ray thing going to see? It's not okay. It it might see the rubber bands. And then I had the tube socks in my, in my, uh, Louis bag (laughs) and I had everything folded meticulously. And I had a couple of GQ magazines on top. And they actually opened my bag. And when the guy saw it meticulous, he just went, oh, okay, cool. Closed it back up, zipped it up. And underneath there's 20 grand cash? Oh, no, more than that. I, I was carrying 100 grand on me, but I had it in different spots. I had like a 20 stack. Oh, my in God, pocket, dude. 20 stack in another pocket, another 20 stack. <laughs> and, to, and to end a topper, I had 590 oxys on me. Oh. But they were all. They were all in prescription bottles. But how many bottles is that? Well, that's a a lot of bottles. It's a lot of bottles. And it's filled to to the top, which you never get a prescription where it's filled to the the very top. But, yeah, I mean, that's just – that's the mindset. And, like, I was – you know, I – when I started shipping, I'd already been selling weed for probably about six years. So, you know, it was just like – I don't know. You get in. I got into that world, and you're around guys that are doing it, and you're doing it, and I'm high, and it's just like, yeah, it was just, it was complete, absolute madness, dude. Like when I look back at, you know, like what, you know, what drugs, you know, it's like, yes, did I have a lot of fun, but, it, well, I, and you never got pinched for that. Yes, I did. Oh, you oh, yeah. did. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's that's that. Yeah, we we still we still got. OK, <laughs> but was it to a lesser degree? I mean, I'm, I'm like my palms are getting sweaty as I'm listening to this. I, I just no, it's not to a lesser degree. I got. Uh, so, I mean, I went to I mean, back to, you know, when I called Paul said I needed to get sober um, 2007. He said, hey, let me call you right back. I'm going to find out what rehab I'm going to send you to. And uh, he calls me back. He goes, you're going to Crossroads. You're going to Antigua. He's all book a flight to Antigua. I go, I do. I don't even know where Antigua's at. Right. <laughs> you know, and he's like, you're going to Eric Clapton's rehab. And I was just like, done. I'm in. Okay. You know? Sounds good. Yeah. It sounds good. But I got, I got to find out where Antigua is. So, um, yeah, I ended up going to that rehab. It's just east of Puerto Rico. Um, amazing place. Um, but it really, uh, you know, <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna die. So I ended up meeting a Russian, a Russian kid from New York there that was just, uh, this is, this is the guy. So when I was talking about carrying the hundred grand back, I did that after I went to rehab because I relapsed immediately when I got out of there because it just, if you don't change everything, you know, and really have like a, a shift, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain as, you know, it was just my experience, you know, and it, and it just, it didn't, it didn't stick, you know, and I went, you know, because I wasn't going to change making the money, but I wanted to get sober. You know, it's like, I, if you're going to, you know, I had to go in there fully willing to, to scrap everything, you know, but I wasn't, I wasn't there yet, you know, cause the money had me. And, um, yeah, I ended up meeting this Russian dude and, you know, and I was selling some flying back and selling him some, and he was giving doxies and you know i was selling my other buddy it was just complete madness and you know i i stopped you know i shipped a few times for for this guy in la um uh i didn't have to fly back but i i just set up the whole shipping thing for him on a, on a trucking system that uh and i just shipped for him three times 
uh, about 2007, 2008. And I was trying to get sober. You know, I, I had gone to like Hogue Hospital for 10 days. I'd gone to College Hospital. Um, I started getting like, I got it. I think my first DUI was like 2009 under the influence of prescription medication. Um, I got an under the influence of heroin. Um, so I got a few, you know, I started getting arrested, you know, and, and, and it was, you know, it was, were you scared? Did that scare yeah. you? I did not. Uh, no. So in, 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 in you, <laughs> you knowing me, dude, I'm, you know, I'm not a jail guy. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> I am not. You know, it was just, I, yeah, I wasn't, I mean, to answer that question, honestly, no. Um, it was just when you, when you get into like, like addiction to that, to that depth, um, the only way I can really explain it is that you're working off your midbrain, which is like your survival, you know, and the survival is just getting opiates. That's it. You're just one tracking. Any, anything else. I mean, yeah. bombs can be going off. You can be going to OCJ, going through the loop, you know, the sheriff's fucking with you in there, you know, because I had a puffy jacket on one time. I'm like, you know, all I'm getting out and all I'm doing is immediately, immediately going to get more yeah. opiates. It's, right. it's, it's like, that's the only way I can explain it is like, it's, it's like you're at war and all you have to do is get the opiates and the war is, you know, and you're, you're winning the war. Mm. And it's like, you don't have, you're not really working off your, your, your frontal lobe where you're making rational decisions. Like, ah, you know what? I got a DUI. Things aren't looking good. I should probably get sober. And right. Get a job. You're not having that conversation with yourself. You are not having that conversation. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, I'm scared. I don't know if it was necessarily about being like scared or, or not scared. You're just not thinking right. It's just like that. You're just not like, it's, it's crazy. I've had people ask me like when, um, when I got out of rehab, like the first time and I relapsed, you know, um, they're like, did you, didn't you think about like what you just went through? Like you paid 10 grand to go here and you know, and now you're sober and it's like, you think about it after you do the drug, but if, if your if your mind is still, you know, shackled to to the disease of addiction, you just you have no I had no thought. And it was kinda like an aha moment, you know. I didn't get sober after that, but I it, it got me thinking, you know, and then as I went to more rehabs, you start learning about learning about this stuff. And then, um, you know, I stopped selling the weed, you know, because I was really, I was trying to get sober because like I said, I started getting, you know, arrested and, and, you know, I knew that it was like, Hey, you know, we gotta, this just, I can't keep doing this. I, my hustle had run out, you know, the money was, you know, the little bit of money that I had left, I'd spent going to rehabs, this. And, um, so I was like, not probably about three years, dude, I, I hadn't sold any weed and I was trying to get sober. And I'll never forget. So I'm like kind of bouncing from my, my dad's to my mom's in San Clemente. And I, I'm at my dad's in Huntington and, and Greg Isley, who's a lifeguard, Huntington Beach lifeguard, rents, rents an apartment for my dad out of the fourplex. And he comes up to me. He's all, hey, dude, yesterday a, a couple guys came up to me and showed a picture of you and asked if I've seen this guy. And oh, I was like, Jesus. I was like, wait, what? I was like, 
So once again, I'm like in that mindset because I'm still using and stuff. And I'm like not thinking it was anything to do with the DEA or anything because I hadn't sold in, in three years, you know, not really knowing the whole federal thing is that they got seven years to to uh, <laughs> to investigate you or, or build a case or what have you. Long story short, um, I got arrested by the DEA. Um, I got indicted on a, on a conspiracy charge with seven guys, um, distribution of marijuana, money laundering. They wanted to uh, charge me for 2,000 pounds. I only shipped 150, but when you're on a federal thing, um, anything these guys did, even the years that I wasn't there, I'm going to be charged with. Um, so now this is big leagues. Oh, big leagues. This, this is, is big leagues. Yeah. Big leagues. And, I mean, just, yeah, I mean, it was just complete madness. It was big leagues. Um, I was looking at 10 years. Um, so immediately pled guilty, had a really, really great attorney, a public public defender, Peter Johnson. Um, and I just started getting all these, uh, I mean, I don't know what to, like, just these stars aligned, um, you know, with, with getting Peter Johnson uh, a prosecutor lady was in Al-Anon. Her husband was addicted to Oxycontin. I mean, and, and the federal system, I mean, when it comes to like the judges and the prosecutors and just my experience, there, there are some pretty serious people, Sure, like serious people. And she came up to me when I was pleading guilty, you know, I was on pretrial for two years. You know, I, I went to, when I got arrested, I went to NBC, which is downtown LA. I don't know if you've seen the the big the jail down yes there. off yeah, the 110 yeah. or 101 that's yeah, off the 101 right there yeah yeah dude i've driven by it i ain't never been inside it how 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 heavy was that it was heavy dude it i mean you're heavy. in there with like you know what everything right every kind yeah. of criminal i was federal so that was good i'm glad i didn't go to the county okay that, and i probably wouldn't have made it out of there <laughs> for real <laughs> yeah the federal, um, yeah, it was it was heavy, dude. But once again, it's like I was high as a kite when they arrested me. Um, now I'm kicking, kicking. Um, I had to spend one night, you know. I got to look out that window, you know, the the, the, the two inch window right. out there, you know? and that was a, a pretty sobering moment, you know. It was like fuck, you know, like wow, I got really, I really, like, I mean, you're talking about back in the Royale days, you know, to be sitting up and fucking, you know, however many years later in that position, it, it was, um, right. Yeah. It was sobering to say the least, you know, but, um, I had a lot, I had a lot to go through, um, and on the pretrial, but basically, uh, yeah, I pled guilty. Um, uh, they ended up recommending it was, then it went to five years they gave me minimal participant for uh for shipping 150 pounds and then i was basically uh i went to rehab when i was on pre-trial i relapsed because i think i'm going to be doing five years you know drug addicts always going to give them an excuse to you know to do more drugs and and then it came down to the wire man and i was uh i was going to um to court i was basically going to jail for five years and um, the prosecutor lady had interviewed a couple of the guys, a couple of the youngsters from Huntington about, um, 
you know, when I was on pretrial. So when I went in for sentencing, my attorney, the prosecutor and the judge went in the, went in the chambers. And when you're in the federal system, there's nobody else in the courtroom. It's just, it's just, they're just doing just you, you know, yeah. they make you, they make you feel real special. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so heavy, man. It was just, so I'm sitting there and, uh, my attorney told me later that, you know, when they were back in his chambers, my, my attorney goes, you know, your honor, he's a really good guy. He just has a drug problem. And attorney didn't, didn't, didn't say nothing, didn't respond to him. And if Julie would not have said the same thing that he said, I probably would have got out about eight months ago, a year ago, or about a year ago. Yeah. She said the same thing. She says, you know what, Your Honor, I interviewed some of his friends. I've talked to him. He, he is actually, he's a good guy. He, just, he has a drug problem. And that's when the judge said, oh, so you're, you're going to go to bat for this guy. You, you think he deserves a chance? And she said, yeah. So they came out from that, you know, from the chambers and walked up to me and he said, hey, Mr. Wheat, do you want to get your life back together? And, uh, I mean, that was it. That was, uh, so he, uh, he went against all, which is a pretty heavy thing to do in the federal system. He went against all, um, like the guidelines. They have a bit, you know, they have guidelines. And, and since the prosecutor was on board with it, you know, if it would have been any other prosecutor, I don't know if the judge could have done what he did because she can, you know, you know, fight it and say, Hey, the guidelines are the guidelines. But for whatever reason, he gave me five years probation, six months in a federal halfway house. Um, and yeah, I've been sober ever since, uh, <laughs> August, August, uh, 28, 2013. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a, I, I, you're like, talk about the cat with nine lives, dude. I mean, you, yeah. you obviously know now that what, a, what a fortunate series of events, had to line up for for that to to have your freedom be given like that um so you come out of that you're obviously not in the weed business you're you know you got some background in the apparel business and do you think like okay i'm sober um you know i'm not pulling in 30 g's a month now um it sounds great uh but i'm not getting back on that road what do you do you know, it'd be hard to, you know, go to uh, be employed, being an entrepreneur, uh, being, you know, a self-made man and someone that's been as independent as you had for all those years. So what does your slow road to recovery look like in terms of your your business interests and how do you get back on track? Because I think, you know, a lot of people that will be listening to this is, you know, budding entrepreneurs, people that want to start brands. They go, man, this dude dug himself out of a hole to come back and he had a like you you know it's sort of like you have a very extreme example of a path to entrepreneurship and and to um you know success um what do you do your first your first movements your first decisions to say okay this is how i'm going to write the ship and this is what i'm going to go do um, you know, I really didn't, I really didn't look at it like that at, at first because I'm just getting sober. You know, I just, I just went through all that. You know, I, I go do six months in a federal halfway house, which was, uh, which was heavy, you know, I mean, it's just, that's federal inmates that are getting out of federal prison for a lengthy amount of time. 
you know, so now I'm having to do that for six months in Los Angeles. And then I get out of that and I go to a sober living. And I mean, I really, you know, I really owe it all to surfing, like to really, you know, um, blessed to have surfing as my, as my go-to. It's like, you're, you're, you know, you're getting sober and you have this spiritual, um, place to go to you have this camaraderie with 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 all generations my dad's generation the generations younger you know my my generation you know and you come back and you just i just started surfing you know and i actually i started doing surf lessons at, at zach's on on north side you know the, the um the ali family who bought zach's off my off my grandpa you know, they've kept the name and, um, you know, they, they own the one at Beach Boulevard and Huntington and the one on Northside. And I, I was doing surf lessons seven days a week for, did it for three years, you know, like the first three years of my sobriety, but going probably, you know, like, I don't know when it was, it was some 14, so 13. So yeah, it was probably like two years into, into my sobriety, a year and a half into my sobriety, I was doing surf lessons. And I mean, this is how I came up with the name. So I'm like, I'm doing lessons, you know, I love branding, I love marketing. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to do a business card. And it's just going to say sport of Kings forever. Young. Surfing is the sport of Kings. Surfing is the fountain of youth. And yeah. I go, Joe, Joe McElroy, I, I get on my fixie because I don't have my driver's license yet, you know, and so yep. I get on my fixie and I ride to, I ride to uh, Costa Mesa to his office up there. And I've got a couple ideas, you know, I'm like, oh, cool, I'm going to do a little crown. And, you know, just I wasn't really thinking like clothing company uh, at that time. I mean, I, I was always loving fashion and I'm thinking about, you know, fashion and and so when I'm doing this business card, you know, and Joe Max helping me, you know, with the graphic work and we both looked at each other at the same time and just went, dude, this would be the coolest little clothing brand. I'm like, dude, I think I go, I'm thinking the same thing. So I literally put my, my Beats by Dre on and just rode back from Costa Mesa. Just like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And that, 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 that was it, you know? And then it was like, I got with uh, Scott DeLorem to write a mission statement you know, um, a highly charged carefree lifestyle, a passion for surfing and the pursuit of happiness. And it kind of encapsulates like our, you know, my life, you know, it's, it's been highly charged, you know, um, passion for surfing and the pursuit of happiness, pursuit of happiness got derailed, you know, in the, in the midst of, uh, <laughs> madness, but, uh, you know, yeah, and that was, that was it, you know, and then, and I got with Ziggy, you know, and Zig worked for Hurley, you know, great designer. Yeah. Um, and we really wanted to do an elevated surf brand that spoke quality, not quantity. Try and make everything in Los Angeles. Um, give it that, you know, back to like Sean Stussy, you know, it's like, I want to like, I'm it's just like you were heavily influenced by music and we grew up, you know, in the, in the, in the 90s when like hip-hop and you know the whole the grunge thing and you know i was you know we're, we're just so heavily influenced by you know sports and music and city and this and we wanted to bring that into you know into 
into Sport of Kings. You know, bring that fashion into Sport of Kings and bring surf back into fashion. Like, how can we, you know? Yeah. You know, we just just been having fun with it and, you know. Yeah. Um, and how far along are you with the brand? It's a couple years old now or? Yeah, so we're a couple. We're, we've been at we've been at this store. We got a location at Pacific City. I mean, everything really came about, um, you know, organically. Uh, Pacific City is a new uh, shopping center in Huntington Beach. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, yeah. And yeah, they had a location in here that's kind of a destination location, a 450 square foot spot. And um, Surfing Magazine had just went out of business. They kind of had a pop up in here. And, uh, yeah, we had a friend of a friend that worked here and we just got in front of them and yeah, they were stoked. We were a home, <laughs> a hometown brand and they, you know, they gave us this, this, uh, this cool little location in here and we've been here a year and a half. It'll be two years, June 14th. And yeah, we're just, yeah. you know, we're doing the slow growth on this. It's a different, you know, it's a different time, you know, yeah. as well as I do that it's just, uh so much noise out there you know and there's got the instagram and the facebook brands and this it's like so yeah well i feel like again coming from where you were royal to, to now even i feel like this is um even a more thoughtful and elevated play for you taking all those years of experience and really putting forth what I think is is like just like you said, it's like a, it's it's this super cool little curated experience, and I think you know you being uh, at the center of it, and you you know all of your experiences I think have obviously led you to this. But now I remember, you know, back in your club promoting days, and you know, but you like, but you were doing your thing, you were, but you were doing the club promotion, but then you'd be in the middle of the dance floor just ripping it up. And I don't know, like, I think all that, all that stuff translates. Like, you're, you know, you're the epicenter. You really have this. Yeah. You've always had a way about you. And I don't know, man. I'm, I just, um, I'm happy to see the brand. I love creatively what I'm seeing, um, you know, from not only just a local HB guy, but just a fan of yours and just seeing it. And it's, it's and Ziggy, and I think you guys are a great team. And um, it, you, are you guys making moves uh, internationally or is the idea to just like whatever like it's slow growth we're just going to pick our spots we're going to pick our accounts we're going to slow grow this thing and and uh, we're not going to um, make decisions that can jeopardize the integrity of what's happening yeah yep. yeah that's uh that's exactly what we're uh what we're doing we got to do a little bit of volume you know we got to you know so we are talking to japan right now we're kind of going back and forth on uh you know, we really don't want to do a distribution deal right out the gates, you know. Maybe we can do something like more like of a commission-based, um, but we'll see, you know, see where that goes. Um, but definitely um, hand-picking uh, and curating the, 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 the accounts that we open. You know, we're looking at hopefully doing like a, a pop-up up in Portland, Oregon at this spot, which could be really cool. Um, and just doing things like that, you know, and just slow growth and, and really get this really cool foundation of this, uh, this brand that just speaks quality and, you know, not quantity and really, uh, having fun with it, you know, and not doing your traditional, you know, I don't know, I guess surf, you know, at all times. 
Right. Are you, um, is the ambassador program important to you? Like as far as having people out there that are representing the brand, I mean, I'm assuming you probably do have some dudes, um, you know, close to, close to you and the brand that are, that are surfing, but do you have some like street culture vibe guys or how, how are you playing that side of things? Yeah. I mean, we don't have all that type. I mean, I would love to, to have like a, you know, an, an ambassador. I mean, we do have really, really cool cats, and we got two of the best surfers. You know, one kid, Griffin Foy, 17 years old. He's probably one of the best 17-year-olds around, you know, on the, on the planet, you know, top 100 for sure. But, uh, you know, and then I have one of my dad's friends who um, who's one of the pioneers of Desert Point in, in Bali, um, rocking the gear and you know we have a you know we have a few ambassadors i would like to go deeper with it but you know it takes a little bit a little bit of a funding to uh to be given giving that away um but yeah we've had a lot of uh we've had a lot of good support from the beginning you know which is which is really you know gotten us uh you know where we're at today with the right people you know around orange county you know a few people up in la and yeah, we'll just keep growing that, you know, and Yeah. Um what a crazy ride, man. I I, I have a couple more questions for you. So uh yeah, um, I got twenty two percent left on my on my thing. I had a full charge. <laughs> I've been watching this thing just tick away. I'm like, Jesus, I yeah. had a hundred percent when we started. I know. Uh, I'll let you know when we're at ten percent. All right, we're getting into critical point. Yeah. Um, so this this little segment I call questions for my kids. So my son Jack, what's that? I said nice. Yeah. I, was, I was I was stoked when I seen this. That's that pretty funny. Cool. So yeah. so he's um, my son. Question, but, hey, this is a tough question too, dude. I, I was like, wow, dude, he's throwing a heater <laughs> at me. He's a thoughtful little dude, man. So yeah. So his question is, um, what's your favorite thing you accomplished in all your years of design? So I'm going to kind of defer from the question for just one moment. The favorite thing that I've done in my life is getting sober. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, I mean, sober, I mean, it's, it's, it was the toughest thing I did, but it was, uh, it it was, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I'm most, most proud of. Yeah. I'm putting people, family members, loved ones through what I, what I put them through, you know, not only myself, but uh, that's definitely my, my proudest moment. When it comes to design, huh, I was trying to think of, <laughs> that's why I deferred because it's such a tough question. Yeah, bro. that's almost like saying, what's your favorite song, right? I mean, that's yeah. it's it's a tough one from a, you know, a guy who's got a lot of design experience, a lot of collections out there. How does how do you say that? Well, I guess, I guess I'm taking my own interpretation of it. I should just yeah. defer to you and let you deal with that one. I was trying to think about that when I read it the other day. Um, design. I don't know, man. Design is so, you know, it's um, sometimes you get lucky, you know, like when you design something, you know, you're kind of like going, hey, is this going to hit? Is this, you know, but what I've, I mean, I'll just say for, for, for Sport of Kings, the thing that Ziggy and I have um, have done that, I, that I'm that I'm really proud of is that you know, there's actual like pieces that we've designed, like the West Coast All Stars um, with the Huntington Beach Board Riders patch on this fleece, 
that's it's an actual live you know it's like a real it's a real thing the huntington beach board riders is the 2018 west coast board riders champs it's an actual living breathing club you know and and to have to look at a piece and to wear to wear something that actually people are proud of um, not only myself, you know, but people are proud to have the HP board writers patch. So to, to have designed something, you know, um, that, that has that type of feel, you know, is, is something that, uh, I would have to say that's Zig and Zig and my, my, uh, you know, I, I think he would agree to, but, uh, that's the best, yeah. uh, best accomplishment we've done. Yeah. I, I dig that. I dig that as well. Uh, so my daughter Josie wants to know: Have you ever been hurt in the ocean? <laughs> yes, Josie. I was uh, I was uh, twelve years old, and I was just learning how to surf. I mean, I've been in the ocean my whole life, but I think I got my first surfboard when I was nine years old. So I was, you know, I was getting it. You know, by twelve, I was starting to, and then I went to uh, to try and pull up in a little barrel. You know, you're 12 years old, and that's an exciting thing. And a backwash hit as I was falling forward. I don't know if you can see, but I still have a fat lip from it from when I was 12 years old. I got 23 stitches in my lip. I remember the lifeguard picked me up, and that was when the lifeguard Jeeps had those big old windows on the the mirrors, you know. They had the old-school Jeeps. I remember when he was driving me back to the lifeguard tower, like, the kind of blood like washed away and I got to look at it. And uh. I, I could see my tooth. I could see this before I had braces. I could see my tooth like just like right there, you know, but my grandma held my hand all the way through the stitches. My dad couldn't, my dad had to leave the room. So, <laughs> and yeah. you didn't knock out any teeth though. No, no, no. didn't oh. knock out any teeth, but I still have a fat lip. Oh, that's know? funny, man. Uh, and, uh, my, my, my five-year-old kind of bowed out. I was asked. I think this one was just above his head. He just couldn't wrap his head around this one. So, little Georgie, uh, you're out on this one. Uh, so, I uh, I know you're getting low on, on battery power there. Let's uh, let's just say um, how how can we learn more about your brand if, if I'm listening and I want to check it out. I want to buy some stuff. Or I want to check your socials out. Where do where can I do that? Yeah. So you can go. Uh, the website is www sokfy.com so sporty kings forever young but it's just sokfy.com uh instagram handle is sporty kings underscore clubhouse cool or they can check out your spot in pacific city in huntington yep yeah and, um, the instagram has the address on the spot instagram has the website link um yeah but anytime you're in huntington beach uh you know stop by pacific city um, come by, say what up, and uh, next sure. time, uh, next time we talk, if we do the Skype again, though, I need you. Uh, I need you in a hoodie. I'll send one. <laughs> I'll send one you before the interview. I'd be honored, dude. I'd, I'd be super stoked. Thank yeah. you uh, so much for coming on today, sharing your story, yeah. being totally like transparent and honest and uh, heartfelt. Um, I think it translates again to to who you are and and and, and how you've been able to roll through some adversity and come out the other side of it and uh listen man i always have been a fan and remain a fan and uh i'm stoked to see you doing your thing man you and the boys and um again thank you and um hope this was good for you i i felt i dug it 
And I'll yeah, hope. No, no, no. I, pre- I appreciate it, man. I appreciate uh, what you just said, Ryan. Um, you know, we go way back, and uh, yeah, no, this was uh, this was a good time, and uh, yeah, all good, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right, buddy.